Welcome to another episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan. And I'm your host, Ben. And we're coming at you here sort of like time travelers because we are in the midst of our FMRPG Blitz where we're kind of trying to get caught up with uh, our production schedule matching the timeline that we all live in. But um, we're not there yet. So, so this is us kind of interjecting our present selves into what we consider to be the past, which is also the present for our listeners. So... Um, the blitz seems to be going well. We're getting some pretty good responses, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. I think this is kind of like a this will be a preview in a sense because we're gonna turn this one out in the next week. So yeah. this will be what a what a weekly cast would sound like from us. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we we'll um, get a taste of that. You know, if uh, you're liking the direction of the show, and we hope that you are, please stick with us. Today we gather out of order because we have a very special guest coming to join us. Uh, Ben and I are very fortunate and very pleased to be joined by gaming development mastermind, John Wick. Yeah, I am really looking forward to this. I think uh, I, I got a lot of questions, and I think it's going to be a fun discussion we have with him. You know, um, John, if I may call him that, is the developer behind 7th C, currently a Kickstarter uh he's a developer behind houses of the blooded which i currently have sitting right in front of me right now indeed and um another game called wield along with countless other articles and other smaller games um or bigger games l5r yeah i mean we, we don't want to overlook l5r so um uh john has seen the industry through the entire spectrum and we're very fortunate to have him today to uh, talk to us, not just about um, what's going on with the Kickstarter, but also just about gaming in general, which is what we like to talk about here. So he'll be joining us in just a few minutes. Uh, in the meantime, Ben and I will do our normal recap of what exactly it is that we've been up to. Do you want to go ahead and get started, Ben? Well, um, let's see here. Um, <clears throat> I guess for me right now, I am still working on my game. Um it's uh, slow going right now, but uh, gradual improvement is a good thing. Um, I think that we're in a us as terms of like role playing gamers who are playing role playing games are sort of in a weird spot right now. Yeah, this is true. Um, we are uh, well. We we uh, a- attempted to to do our uh, our playcast of. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition, Ravenloft specifically. Now, I mean, if you're if you follow on Instagram, you're probably familiar with this. I've been hyping it up for like a month now or something, and uh, I just had this idea that I wanted to do an actual play of the uh, 1983 Ravenloft module, um, and we were going to do it AD and D style. This was really all inspired by um, I think Mike on Darker Days Radio. Who I mean, I'm a big fan of Darker Days Radio. I listen to it all the time. If the Dark Days crew is out there listening, then I send you my regards. You guys um, have inspired me. 
Um, I would not. I don't know if I'd be a podcaster today if it wasn't for Darker Days Radio. Anyway, so um, Mike, I believe, was running uh, Ravenloft for his group, and then uh, the Curse of Strahd news dropped that it was going to be releasing in early March. And I was like, you know what? If we just buy the Ravenloft module, get it kind of like rush shipped, we can do an actual play of this thing, and we can kind of like release it right before Curse of Strahd comes out, kind of like as a like right along with the excitement of that of that release. And so I got these AD&D books together. I just had a small collection. I was like, oh, we're just going to do this like really like close to the bone. We're going to do this as like hardcore as possible. We're just going to do like, you're just going to do character creation method one and you're just going to roll your stats all the way down the line. And there's not going to use any of these like a stupid optional rules. I mean, no skills and no powers, none of that shit. This is going to be like fucking straight up D&D. You know what I'm saying? Like it's kind of like, I, I don't know. It's kind of like an OSR kind of feel to it. It's kind of what I was imagining. And in the lead-up, there was definitely sort of a, 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 a whimsy of youth that was surrounding the <laughs> entire event, the proceedings. People people definitely felt like, oh, you know, we're kind of returning to a, a, a simpler time in role-playing, you know? And, and I thought that... I, I mean, I, I really felt like everybody was on the same page as we were ramping up to do it. And then... I mean, we all sat down. Characters done. Spells chosen. Magic items distributed. We we bought some beers. We got some pizzas. We just did this thing like it was like 1992, and um, and holy shit, dude, it just fell apart. It just it just it just went so far off the rails so fast, and it's just really led to some um, so it's, I, you know, like some of those like bad feelings that you have in a role playing group, you know, where people are kind of like looking at each other and they're kind of like, well, you know who's going to take the the fall for this one you know what i'm saying am i right am i right, am i right wrong well i i, I kind of want to get past the like idea of who's going to take the fall mm, it was that's, a, that's fair i, I feel you it, you know when it, when it all comes down to it it was a collective effort collective failure yeah i mean and that is the downfall of collective storytelling true true um you know, you try something and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Oh man, I, and I will tell you what, dude. In terms of like the failure of collective storytelling, like I walked, to, I, like like the, the the night after you guys all left, I was just like, "Fuck role playing." I'm going back to writing novels, man. I mean, uh, fail, I still fail, heard a little bit about your voice novels. the next day when I saw you at work. I was just like, oh, holy shit, dude. It was. I mean, it was because I mean that's the that's the thing, right? Like if it's not going to work as a group, then you should just do it by yourself, right? You know, and have I learned enough to actually, you know, I'm getting to be an old god. I've never finished one of these fucking things, you know. But I also have sort of a habit of not finishing games either. Maybe that's just my habit is to not finish things. Um, but man, uh, like, I gotta say, it was a trip, trip like, uh, like laying it out there with uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons rules for the yeah. first time in like I don't know twenty years. Twice. Well, yeah, twenty, I guess. Yeah. We played it regularly about twenty years ago. Yeah, maybe a little bit more than twenty years ago. Now that I think about it, but um, I had played a little bit in when I was in community college, so it's probably been a little bit less than twenty years for me. But I mean, so close. You know what I'm saying? I mean, ugh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to see how like how in in some ways uh, restrictive that game is compared to sort of modern games, and in other ways not. I don't know. It's very weird. Yeah, I mean, it just it asks something different of you than your contemporary um 
role-playing game style. And to be totally honest with you, as a dungeon master, there were some things about it that I was quite taken with. Um, not so much the math. Just the way that everything is math. The way that, like, you had, like, like, I mean, people might contribute this, or attribute, rather, this to the, the quote-unquote dumbing down of the game. But, like, in the contemporary monster manual, like, it just tells you how many hit points the monster has. And it tells you what the monster's, um to hit is you know whereas in the D D monster manual doesn't tell you these things it just tells you how many hit dice it has and then the modifier to apply so you just sit there doing this math in your head to generate or you can sit there rolling them out i guess um and then and then and then monsters don't have like a thaco number their thaco is based on their the number of hit die that they have so you have to like consult this chart to like see what and then and then you apply in armor classes so it's like, rather than just giving them a Thacko number, you know, and I'm just like, why do I have to look at this fucking chart? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, I couldn't you fucking write this just down for me, so I just knew. So really, uh, yeah, I guess the there are some uh, pretty good innovations then on that side that come out of three then. There are. There are. And, um, I mean, I appreciate that stuff as a GM. It does make things, it makes things easier to run. But go ahead. I mean, You're about to say something. No, I was just saying, I remember running... Because, because when I I didn't really play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons with you when we were younger. That's true. I played with a, a bunch of different other people, you know, and um, I remember not even having a monster manual. Just we all just created monsters and like fought monsters. It was uh, I remember I remember trying to trying to tell like a, an Elric based story uh, with Dungeons and Dragons um, years ago with like my buddies. Um, See, I mean, that's great. I think that that's really cleaves to the OSR idea, which is, like, throw out all these fucking books. Like, throw out all these fucking manuals that tell you, like, what it is that you have to do. I mean, there's been all this talk, and if, and if you listen to enough podcasts and you read enough blogs, you hear about this period in sort of, like, the late 80s and the, through the mid, mid to late 90s in role-playing that was called the Supplement Treadmill, you know? Where it was like they were releasing supplements for fucking everything. You know? Yeah, I mean, it always felt like, uh, like, well, what is the what is the term for that? Publish or die. Yeah, and you know, as a avid collector, I just have one of these collector brands. Like, I I, I see things and I just want to collect them. You know, it never bothered me. I always really liked it. However, it does have a sort of downside, um, especially when you're very young and you're neurotic. And, and 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 in this play, the, the, my influence White Wolf influenced me in this also because White Wolf had this meta plot that was going on that had a quote unquote canon involved, and um, there was this way I got trained early on that was like, oh, the material in the books is really important. It's like mm. really important, you know. And I became for a while I was kind of like this like like, fundamentalist white wolf guy, you know what I'm saying, who, who could walk around, like, quoting chapter and book, verse, and always having my fucking finger on a page, like, trying to point at, like, this sentence and this passage, you know what I'm saying? Now, now that we're talking about it, I remember when Requiem came out, and you had sort of, like, um, the idea of, of the archetypal vampires, yeah. rather than, like, the, the what, what really was clans beforehand in Masquerade. Right. And uh, I remember being sort of disheartened when all the like bloodlines came out because I was like, I'm, I was many reasons. Well, sure. Not just because some of them were dumb and some of them were silly. Most of them. But, uh, but the fact that like, it sort of diluted the idea of what 
what what the idea of the archetypal vampires you were playing were and i thought that was sort of like in a lot of ways made the game weaker yeah yeah i mean well you know getting off topic but you know requiem is is a toolbox and you take what works and you, you get rid of what doesn't you know what I'm sure saying? sure so, I so, just... if it's, so if bloodlines are diluting the game then you get rid of them um but it was just that sort of idea like like you know the stripped down idea that i thought was really sort of interesting at the at the fundamental level which i think is applicable to this sort of talk about like what stripped down games were for yeah yeah um so i mean I always took what was in the source books really seriously. Mm. And I was always one of those guys who felt this pressure to have everything in the source books line up. And since then, it's since I've sort of returned to role playing in the last couple of years, I've really been struck by the OSR movement that basically says what the fuck do you care is in this book, man? Like it's 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 supposed to be fun. The first the first thing is supposed to be service to the enjoyment of the game. You know what I'm saying? That's the first thing, and everything else comes after that. And it's it's sort of like a social contract that you have to develop with the players at your table as to what the definition of fun is going to be. Um, but you're definitely supposed to strip away all those rules and all those backstories and all those like merits and flaws and dots and points and all this other shit to try, to try and like liberate the players to role play, you know? And that's like a very fine balance. And it's one that I have not negotiated well because the fact of the matter is, is like, I'm a very, as we were discussing this earlier today at work, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty heavy handed storyteller. You know, I mean, I not like, necessarily in a, I don't, I, I think that that, that when you say heavy handed, like there, it has a lot of negative connotations. I don't think that's necessarily what you want to, what you want to necessarily connote with what you're saying. I mean, maybe you do, but but I don't feel that way. I think it's more just like you have an idea and you have a vision, and that's what you want, you know? Yeah. No, I mean that's true. I just, I mean, I feel like I've always, even going back to the '90s when we were first really changing the way we role played to conform to what the storytellers' guides were talking about, where we were trying to really next level our game, you know. <laughs> And I was, I have always tried in that time to be a facilitator of the character concept and the idea. And if you come to me and you have an idea and you have desires, then I really want to facilitate those things for you. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't, I like to control the story and I like to have this kind of power to say, well, this is in and that's out. And I don't like surprises. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we were ever sitting in the middle of, like, a fucking vampire game and, say, Jeff had been like, oh, what, we're in, uh, we're in Venice? Venice is the home of my, um, my order that you've never heard of and that isn't on a character sheet and I've never discussed with you and, uh, the order master is here and all of my allies and ghouls and, like, I know my, my long lost love and all this other shit and it's all here in Venice where we are now. I'd be like, fuck you. That is, <laughs> you can just forget all that shit because I never fucking heard of any of that till right now and this is my story and I already populated it with the characters that I wanted to populate it with and if you wanted to populate the story with all those fucking characters, you should have talked to me about that shit three months ago, you know what I'm saying? That sure. would have been my take. You know, and I'm kind of having to learn to let go a little bit to sort of embrace this OSR thing where it's kind of like a bit more dynamic where people can be like, like, oh, well, 
we're in the woods. Like, I know the Witch of the Woods. I mean, I'm, I'm a ranger, so of course I know the Witch of the Woods that lives around here, right? Right, right, Brendan? You know, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And then I have to, like, make something up in my head really quick. And there's, like, a, there's something fun about that, too, you know? I mean, this ain't Shakespeare. It's like, I'm not sitting here and I've got, like, some great master plan of a game that I'm writing. And if I don't get the fucking lines out right, it's going to, you know, be a detriment to world literature or something, you know? Sure. Sure, I get that. Um, it's just sort of interesting how things come like three three sixty because I can remember those days when <laughs> in like the 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 sort of what we'll call sort of like the middle vampire days and the late vampire days for Masquerade. Okay, where it was like super canon oriented. Oh yeah, I remember having discussions where I I I wanted to kill a character and you were like that character's still alive in modern nights like you can't kill him. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I remember that. Yeah, I was just dead set against it. I think I said, I, I to my defense, I yeah, think yeah. I said you're you're fine to try, but because her destiny is in modern nights, y- it's gonna be really hard and, mm. and 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 nearly impossible. I think I said. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and we had we even even around me me attempting to try, we had some fun uh, fun times. Oh yeah, that was a great story. I mean, I know Jesse you're talking about, and that was yeah. a really fun like arc that we ran. Oh, there. it was it was a it was a blast. It was a blast. It was thinking you and I just did it solo, right? Yeah, we did that as like a solo kind of downtime uh, story in between chapters of Giovanni Chronicles. Yeah, and then it was sort of like I remember because after it was done, which I I definitely I definitely suffered quite a few like negative happenings because of yeah. it. Um, but after after it was all over, uh, the actions of my character were sort of like almost legendary at that point, like amongst no, it's, other characters. It's true. Didn't you rope another player character into that? Because I remember that we were like, I remember we sat down to do this thing. Is we're like, oh, this is gonna be like a one on one downtime story. And then it, like we played for a couple hours, and we were like, well, we gotta stop, and we gotta get some of the other guys in. And you like recruited some other guys to help you, and we ended up doing like two or three sessions. Oh yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right. And then there were characters who were actively working to stop me too. I think I think what happened was we recruited. I think Ben got in, got included in that. Yeah, I think so. And he and he was there to like rescue the character that I was like trying to kill or something. Oh yeah, I think yeah, so. I think yeah, that, I think that was how that happened. It was, they weren't actually helping me. They were they were like hindering me. That's right. That's <laughs> the thing. Yeah, I remember because you broke off to the Sabbath. Anyway, we've lost you guys. I'm sorry. We're two old guys reminiscing better days, days when we were like really we days when we when we organized our week around role playing. And the fact of the matter is, man, is that like we're we're, we're approaching middle age, if not in middle age at this point. Sure, it's and, no longer like, hey, Friday nights is is role playing night. Yeah, like, you know, like can you imagine like a bunch of young guys like not going out playing role playing games well, Friday yeah. nights? I don't have to. <laughs> I don't have to imagine it. True, I mean, that's the way it was. True. Um, but it's it's a lot harder now, especially with some of the ways that like people's lives have changed since I returned or since I left for LA, really. You know, I, I just kind of returned to a, a group that was very, very familiar, but also very different at the same time. So we have to kind of like um, adjust to face those new priorities. You know, uh, like Jeff seems quite taken with this girl that he's been seeing. And, you know, uh, uh, Dustin's a family man Dustin's and a family man. Young Dustin is now a family man. I mean, this is these are all like uh, strange twists and turns. And, and the storytelling group has to adapt. So. To kind of like, because I mean, oh, we're way off subject with the Ravenloft. I'm sure you're all just like, just on the edge of your seats wondering about how this thing exactly got so bad. I mean, we just had, there was some chatter that was turned into jokiness, and that was, I guess, fine, because it was kind of a, like, oh, haha, we're going to go through this module kind of thing. And 
I made the GM decision early on that I was going to read aloud the captions that the module instructs you to read aloud. And I thought that that'd be cool for the listeners because they'd get to hear a little bit this classic module that I had read and I found to be quite charming. When I read it in my head, it all sounded really great. Okay. And then I started reading it aloud and it sounded kind of cheesy. It sounded kind of like the Vincent Price voice at the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland, kind of being like, ooh, ghosts and stuff. You know, I was just like, I was like, oh man, this is really campy, isn't it? As I'm thinking, as as I'm reading, <laughs> so so I had essentially like jettisoned my own horror horror storytelling. I was doing this thing that was very kind of campy and over the top, and so that was definitely working against me. The paradigm was against me there. Mage players will understand, and um, and so then. This weird kind of subplot emerges that's in the module where these gypsies have this this potion that allows them to leave the, this area um, uh, that Strahd controls. And the players learned this, and they became immediately fixated on it. And they just somehow decided that the, the Strahd the vampire wasn't their enemy, the gypsies were their enemy. And... The we it was it was as though we all went back in time and became twelve year old kids again and instead of um uh uh role playing the situation it turned into like this genocidal pogrom against um the gypsies and um T- to be fair we no one actually attacking gypsies there was yeah, just no, talk of it okay that's true. But in, in in the midst of this kind of like marshalling of the forces against the gypsy, like like uh, some uncouth jokes were made. True, that, that was that was unfortunate. It was like very like uh, disruptive and, and 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 to be totally honest, between us, between me and the listeners, like it's not the way I like to run the game. It's not the kind of behavior that I endorse at the table. Don't like it at all. I was offended. One of my players was offended. Multiple of your players were offended. Multiple of my players were offended, and that that shit's gonna get addressed. So, um, so that was incredibly disappointing. Not to mention the fact that I mean, there's just I mean, like 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 like, like you can take that and put it to the side, and then the, the, I just I'm just never gonna put that kind of audio on TV or on on the internet. That's just that's just that's just not I don't want happen. it on the I don't want it on the internet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was I was really happy to hear that when I came to work the next day that you didn't want to put it on the internet, oh, and I was like. I was I was feeling really happy about that. There's just no way in the world. I mean, like I just really believe that. I mean, I'm I I'm trying. Look, look. I don't want to sound grandiose here, but I am trying to be here as an ambassador of the hobby, and I'm here to talk to my fellow brothers and sisters who have played this game and loved it for decades or years or even maybe just months if you're just getting into it. And it's it's my job to make this community a community. You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. And like, and I just I just do not endorse at all this kind of idea that like, oh well, you know, a bunch of guys in a room, we can say what we want. It's like, no, we can't. We can't. I'm sorry. And if you really feel that way, then then if you feel that way, then you and I have problems. Um, so that was, you know. To, I, I I almost just closed my book right at that point and said, "Okay, everybody, good night. Get the fuck out of my house." Um, but I didn't, 
I didn't because I kind of thought to myself, well, I can edit around that. Maybe this thing can be salvaged. That's me. I'm always just trying to salvage it. But it just it just never it never got on track. And oh, it was just a Jesus. disaster show. It really was. And uh. at, that, at that point, like a number of the players kind of devolved into this sort of obstructionist role playing and. There was all this. There was this kind of question about whether or not the quest was going to be undertaken. And I mean, it's like it's like we all knew that we were there to do an AP for a show, and that the and that the the module was the context. But then there were a bunch of people who were like, "Well, we're not going to play the module." And it's like, "Well, what are we doing?" And so we ended up getting one combat out of it, right? And we kind of we got a taste of AD and D combat that was like one, almost two, I guess. We rolled initiative for a second that never happened. Yeah, it was, uh, and we found out how harrowing AD and D combat is. I mean, my God, I had forgotten that it was, and it was according to you, it was like the easiest combat in the game, and and it nearly like wiped Let's a say couple it was of the, us out. It was the second easiest. Yeah, it nearly wiped a couple of us out. I think I think I had two hit points left by the end of that combat. Yeah, I mean that that. Uh, AD&D is just un- unbelievably brutal. Um, hey, OSR, brutality, <laughs> like challenge. But, but on the other uh, like like what we taken from this is that we we know some of the mistakes we made. Um, I'm personally taking some of the stuff to heart about like uh, about direction and and uh, what 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 I'm sort of trying to incorporate into my game and some of the pitfalls that'll happen um, with like uh devolution of like the player group in a sense in a, in a session um and uh it's not necessarily dead at this point we are talking about maybe trying to do it again yeah i mean here's the thing the audio from that like ravenloft game is gonna get buried in a vault somewhere i don't know if i'll delete it because i really don't delete anything like i we have a giant external drive and I just like to say I'm 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 a former musician, so I hoard everything, and uh, I hoard old art, I hoard old writing, I hoard old music. So we'll keep the audio around, and maybe someday R- release parts of it for like a joke or something. Yeah, you know, like a Kickstarter special edition D like CD. You can like listen to the ultimate ultimate fail. <laughs> um, but the the and it will be edited so that like you know people can listen to it without like you know crashing their cars, um, but is the project dead? I I don't know. I I'd like to give it another shot. And um, Adam Sink from the Shadowsworn Radio Hour has said that if we do it, he'd like to be involved, and he is a kick-ass role player. I'd love to have him at my table again. Ben still wants to give it another shot. And I know that there's some other people who would, but how we do it will have to be totally different. We'll have to be totally different. I'm thinking, I was flipping through my books earlier today, and I'm thinking maybe Labyrinth Lord would be would be a good way to, to approach it. But if you have any ideas on this, if you have any suggestions, if you have any questions or comments, please send them in. Hit us up. We'd love to talk to you about the spectacular failure. Because as I was saying earlier to Ben today, you learn nothing, or at the very least, very little from success. The proving ground upon which a person changes and evolves and becomes dynamic is through failure. I have learned so much more through failure than I ever have through success. Because if you if you, if things are easy for you and if life is successful and just keeps handing you you know basket of cherries after basket of cherries, you can become sort of like inclined to think that like you're part of some sort of like you know. 
Um, Divine cherry conspiracy. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, oh, I was just born under the right sign, or I'm just a person of, like, immense personal skill and, <laughs> and, and, and uh, charisma. You know, life is easy for me. But let, let's face it, man, that's just not the case, you know. Um, and failure is where you develop character. It's where you learn. And I think that even in my advanced age, I have lots to learn about role-playing, and I learned some shit on Sunday, man. I definitely did as well. And, you know, we had, we had some uncomfortable conversations with some people in the group, and I think that they've learned something as well. And so we're going to, you know, we're going to take a minute, we're going to regroup, and we're going to have some more fun games. So, um, well, you know, it's looking like the, the hour when our guest is about to um, arrive. So we'll uh, leave it there, do a small break, and we'll see you in a few minutes with John Wick. Wonderful. We are back, um, and we are very fortunate to have in our presence uh, gaming mastermind John Wick. And uh, you're damn right, you're fortunate. (laughs) (laughs) You have no idea. (laughs) Um, We are very grateful to have you, sir. Very grateful. Thank you for having me. Oh man, it's our pleasure. It's our honor. Um, so before the break, we did some of your uh, bona fides. You can kiss my hand later. Do <laughs> <laughs> you have a ring? I do. I didn't wear my ma- my Master oh. Mason's ring, but I'll, I'll go home and get it. Um, so uh, well, you should be familiar with his work. If uh, you are not, we highly encourage you to, to uh, go ahead and check it out. But we're going to go ahead and just uh, have a conversation here. We're going to be like a bunch of guys who enjoy gaming, and we're going to talk about some games. So um, to start things off, you, what is it? I understand right now you've got this Kickstarter going on. You yeah. have a record-breaking, record-setting Kickstarter. Yeah. And I imagine that you How are... How that fund again? Uh, it funded in seven minutes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Um, Wow. So you're no doubt incredibly busy. You're, you're no doubt a busy guy. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the business half of John Wick Presents is a guy named Mark Diaz Truman, who has been... Uh, Kind of like like, kind of like building all my Kickstarters since uh, I did the Houses of the Blood of Wilderness book. Okay, it was my first Kickstarter, and uh, he came to me at a convention and he was like, "Look, you gotta do Kickstarter." And I'm like, "Oh, I'm from Minnesota, and we don't talk about money." Mm. And it's kind of like it kind of feels like e-begging. Yeah, you know. And he's like, "No, it's not e-begging because they get something, right? They're, sure, you know, they, they get something from it, right? Absolutely." And I was like, "Okay, you know," and. And he built this thing, and, he's, and I was like, "Sure, let's let's do it for the Houses of Blood and Wilderness book." It's something that my friend Jess Heinig wrote, and Jess had just uh, had a medical emergency thing that was really bad. He could have lost his leg out of it. And I said, "All right, so let's do let's do wilderness, and and we can we can like give a whole bunch of the money to Jess, right? Because help him out with his medical bills and all that kind of stuff." So Mark. Um, we're talking over Skype, and he's like, okay, so click on this link. So I clicked on the link, and there's this thing, and I've never seen this thing before. Maybe maybe you have. It's called a spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, unfortunately. And um, and it's kind of magic, because if you change one of the numbers in one of the boxes, it changes the other ones. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. And then and he was going through, like, like if you know if 200 people buy the book, if 300 people, you know, it goes all like that. And then at the very bottom, it's got this word. I've been in the game industry for 20 years. I've never seen this word before. It's a word called profit. <laughs> Right? And 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 I was like, Oh, what is this word? And he's like, Well, this is the money we get to keep. <laughs> keep? What? What? Uh, you know, that's crazy. Crazy talk. So that started, you know, many years ago. And uh 
There he is. There he is. <laughs> it's because he's not getting petting. Oh, right? that guy. But that started many years ago, and uh, Mark's been building my Kickstarters ever since, and you know, here we are with this insane one. Yeah, I was. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Seven C. I, I I don't know. I don't know how uh, how familiar uh, all our listeners are with Seven C. Um, but I and and to be fair, I I wasn't that familiar with it before I heard your. Uh, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I well, heard your. Hang interview. on, hang on. There's a caveat to go with that, which is that he and I are old White Wolf guys. We are old school White Wolf guys. What, what, what did you do in a past life to deserve that? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And we we would go to the store, right? And it was always White Wolf, right? And then next to it would be Seven C. Sure, sure. I so knew I, I knew so, it was a game. I never so, actually yeah I picked up and looked at it, but I right, never really right. did much more than that. Exactly. There was a certain way that the, the there were splat books and stuff for it, so that was always very appealing because it seemed like it was kind of like a mirror in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't say that that I've played either myself. So 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 lay it on me. What do you, what do you got with Seven C? Seven C was uh, originally was intended to be. Uh, I think Dave C at the at AEG at the time best described it as the Princess Bride role playing game. Um, in that it has um, fake European countries in a fake Europe. So if I say that your character comes from Castile, okay, right, it makes you're like, oh, that's kind of like Sp- I, I understand what it is. That's kind of like Spain. Or if yeah. your character comes from Montaigne, then oh, I understand what that means. That you know, if you come from Avalon, okay, I get that. Right, it's all these shortcut. Ways which also allowed us to do a lot of creative history with the with the environment and put in a whole bunch of markers like like Queen Elaine is the queen of Avalon and if you see her with her red hair and her white dress you're like oh I know what that is so a lot of like short card markers like that and the idea of the game was that it was it's a game about heroes and villains so morality is very clearly drawn it's you are a good guy or a bad guy and if you're a bad guy you're not a PC. Period. Okay. Okay. Right. All right. That's interesting. And um, and uh, I had a big sign on my wall, which was "What would Errol Flynn do?" Mm-hmm. And 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 that was kind of like the 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 compass that we were using to to guide the game. Uh, in that, uh, it, it was really a, a game about like like swashbuckling. If, if it wasn't in an Errol Flynn movie, then it wasn't in the game. And it's right? and, it, and it's got to be heroic. It's like heroic role yeah. playing. It's it's swashbuckling. It's like and and one of the one of the scenes that really codified me for what the game would should work like was the scene in the Princess Bride when uh, Inigo Montoya con- confronts Count Rugen, the Six Finger Man, for the first time mm-hmm. and says the famous line. And then yeah. Count Rugen says to his four dupes, "Right, go and kill him, and bring back the other one for questioning." Right. See, this is this is what actually when I when I heard this in the interview because I'd, I'd heard some of this before. This sold me on it immediately, honestly. <laughs> um, and because and, and, and you continued and you talked, I think, a little bit about um, like failure and especially what it comes to when you want it to be like a heroic failure even still, like an amazing yeah. failure and not just like you're running the middle average roll of the dice failure. No. And, and, and well, and, and the way that works is that I wanted people, like if you get charged by four guys, you know, you dispatch them. Right. And and if you watch the scene, Inigo dispatches the four guys without breaking eye contact with Count Rugen. Yes. Right? Yeah. He doesn't even look at them. Right. Because that's not his goal. And I went, I want to be able to do that in a role playing game. I want it to be effortless. I want to, you know, four guys charge me. No deal. Right. But you run into the villain. And that's that's something else entirely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, you know, and when we were talking about and, and, and so that was part of the original game. And uh, 
you know, when we updated the game for the for the twenty first century, you know, taking a look at a lot of the technology, and I, I I like using game mechanics. I like using the term technology because it it kind of communicates the way that game design works, and that somebody builds a diesel engine, right? And then somebody else comes along and, and changes it and modifies it and makes it a little bit better, but it's still a diesel engine, right? As opposed to the, you know, the gas engine, as opposed to the, you know, the corn engine, you know, type of thing, right? But that's kind of how game design works. It's like technology. You keep building on stuff that you've already done. And game design in the 21st century looks a lot different than game design in, in uh, you know, 1995 or 1997 or 1999. So we still want that same thing, right? We're Count Rugen... And, and Inigo Montoya, but what you were talking about about failure was is is something I'm I'm kind of stuck on right now, which is that I'm no longer interested in random failure. Yeah, right? I, I I've heard I heard you say that, and I and I thought it was very interesting. That's one of the reasons why I brought it up right now because I think it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, and and there it, it's in in the new Seventh Sea, you know, there is failure in the new Seventh Sea, but it's controlled by the players. You know, and it's controlled by the GM as well. It's control. It's controlled by all the players in the game. Whereas, um, you know, <clears throat> if if role playing games are an attempt to be storytelling games, which not everyone agrees with, that that is not a premise that everyone agrees with. Right, right and that's true. I mean, I, on some level, I think that we're at a point in the gaming, like kind of like world, the gaming community, where there's like a fault line being driven about whether whether or not games are about stories or not. But so go ahead, yeah. go ahead with your premise. Well, my, my friend my, my, my friend Matt has has a different premise, which is he he's like the story doesn't happen during the game, the story happens after the game. Okay. Right? When you remember what happened during the game. It's like there is no story and his argument is that there's no story during a football game. Right? That's true. But well, it's not true. Because there is a story, but you're watching it move forward. Right. If you can't say that that that, you know, there's no story in a movie. The story is your experience of watching the movie. No, that's no. You can't say that there's no story in a book. But then the extension. When you say that like a movie is a a piece of artifice and it has like a three act structure that has been sort of like imposed upon it by an outside an outside person, whereas a football game. Like while it moves to a certain time by you know guided by rules and stuff like that, the outcomes inside of it are not predetermined, and that means that the recollection makes the story, and not the the act is the story. Yeah, and and to a certain extent that's true. But then let's talk about role playing games. Okay, go right? for it. Which is we are telling a story, right? Okay. We are. We have characters. We have a plot. We have plot twists. The GM is thinking of okay. We have villains and we have heroes and we have antagonists and protagonists, which are different things. And 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 we have all of these elements of story. But this isn't a story. It's like that's so dismissive. <laughs> it's so dismissive of what's actually happening, which is we are making you know role playing games are the only literary medium. This is a Robin Laws quote. Role playing games are the only literary medium where the author and the audience are the same person. Right. Okay. Yeah. Where if you're watching a movie, you're not the author of the movie. If you're reading right. a book, you're not the author of a book. But if you're playing a role playing game, you are the author of what's going on in the game. You're the author of your character. You're the author of your character. I'm the GM. I'm kind of like the author of the NPCs and things. Right. But still, you're in charge of what the decisions that your character makes. Right. Mm-hmm. And there are role playing games that that for uh, that have dice rolls that make those choices for you. Right. But at what point does that, 
you know, and, and, and that's something else that I'm, I'm really big on right now, which is, which is at what point does that differentiate? How, how do you differentiate that from a board game? Right. Well, that's an excellent question. I mean, that, 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 that becomes almost this like this kind of like this platonic kind of like uh, thought, thought construct where you're like trying to differentiate like between what is a role playing game? What is a board game? Like what is a game in a certain sense? Yeah. Especially with the sort of like uh, expansion of what is what is a board game in the last like so many years. Yep. Yeah, board games have been bleeding into role playing games. Role playing games. I mean, okay, let, let's just the, the the way that the video game industry has co-opted the word gamer like never ceases to sort of like pick <laughs> or role playing game. Yeah, right? it's true. Yeah. It's true. And let's face it, the, the the video game industry has used the role playing game industry as its model. For, for decades, they have just lifted whole cloth out of the role playing industry, and they've kind of like let the, in, the role playing industry kind of like 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 out to sea on a boat, um, while they've like you know uh, forged ahead on these like you know great you know luxury liners, you know, and, and it always it always gets me, man. Well, d- take comfort in that they're always about ten years behind in technology, right? Just now, like with the Telltale games, are they starting to figure out that player choice is important? Mm. right and and granted i mean games like the mass effect series right sure which yeah. i've often which and this is really telling about the mass effect series is that when when have you played have you guys played mass effect i have I okay have. I, I played so, some dragon age it was the same people okay yeah but if i talk to you and you talk to me we talk about what did your shepherd do sure right? sure right and, and i talk about this is what my shepherd did sure you're starting to get close to what a role-playing game is because my character's choices made the game a different experience for me. What right? you're basically talking about is turning turning like uh, uh, the, the the idea of the video game into sort of like a module, essentially, like like much like, uh, you know, uh, Giovanni Chronicles or something like that, where all your choices you make are what's really important. Yeah, and, and I mean, really, what, what, what it comes down to is something like this, which is... Um, and this is from my chess is not a role playing game article, which which is that okay? We can all agree that chess is not a role playing game, right? Yeah, sure. Right, but we can make chess a role playing game by giving motives to the pieces. Yeah, sure. Right, and if if my if my rook's motive is to capture your queen, right, I am now playing a different game than you are. And and you you're, if my pieces have motives and your pieces don't, I am playing a different game because True. my pieces have motives and my goal is for my pieces to accomplish their motives. Right. Your goal is to is to is to put my king in check, mm-hmm. and my goal is to get is to is to capture your queen. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I can't go woo! I captured your queen, I win. You know, because we're not no the, right, the stated right, right. goal of chess is to is to checkmate the king. Okay. So what have we done? How how have we changed chess into a role playing game? Well, we've added this layer on top of it, right? We've added this thing on top of it, which is that the players that the pieces have motives. Okay, so what? And 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 another friend of mine was like, whenever I make this argument, when I when I used to make this argument, it used to be, you ever play Talisman? You guys ever play? Yeah, Talisman? of course. <laughs> okay. oh, yeah, definitely. So sure. is is Talisman a role playing game or a board game? It's one of those weird proto synthesis. No, it's a board game. Because okay. there's a victory condition. Okay. Right? The victory condition is to win. You know, that's... Sure. That's sure. whatever. But the victory condition is very clear, and you play to get the victory condition. And if you don't, you're not playing the same game as the rest of us. <laughs> right? Sure. The condi- All right. And I used to make this, this. I was like, what is the difference between D&D, mechanically D&D, and Talisman? And my friend would say, no, 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 John, you're making the wrong argument. It should be Descent. You should be using Descent as the as the board game. You guys ever played Descent? Sure, okay. sure. I haven't played that. So, one. what is the difference between Descent and Dun- and just straight up D and D? 
And the answer is nothing. Not a whole lot. Yeah. Nothing, right? But Descent is a board game, and D&D is a role-playing game. Okay, what's the difference? What, what, where is, you know, what is, what makes this A and this B or this not A, right? If role-playing game is A, mm-hmm. right, why is D&D A and Talisman not A? What, where is the difference? And I think, I think, and I, I don't have a clear answer for this, but I think the answer is, is that, well, the victory condition is to play your character. Yeah. Right? To successfully play your character is the victory condition of a role-playing game. Right. Well, right. I mean, that's what they always try and tell you in the beginning, right? There's no winners and losers. Everybody wins if you all have fun, right? Yeah. It's the opening paragraph of every role-playing book. And and I think that that's, that's the real difference is is that my, my goal is to successfully play my character and, and maybe even in some instances tell a story with my friends. Yeah. Right? Sure. That, that, is, that is, okay, now that we have that, can we keep just that, just that element, and ditch everything else? Right? Can we ditch armor class and hit points and charisma and and alignment and and humanity rules and blood t- potency and and uh, and and uh, you know and everything else? Sure. Can we eliminate all of this and just keep this? And are we still playing a role playing game? Yeah. Okay. Well, then obviously this whatever this is is what makes a a right and differentiates it from not a. That, that's fair. I'll, I I I I I take your course of logic there for sure. So, you know, that's so for me when we were talking about failure, right? Mm-hmm. Um this all comes around is is that I'm no longer interested in in a die roll that tells me that my character fails when clearly my character sheet says that I shouldn't. Yeah. Right? So, for example, uh Let's say that the thief wants to roll a stealth roll. We're talking D and D D twenty, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. The thief sure. makes a stealth roll, and the fighter makes a stealth roll. The thief has a high dexterity. The thief has a high stealth. Yeah, you know all that kind of stuff. And the thief rolls a one, and the fighter rolls a nineteen. Okay. Clearly, the fighter is the better thief. Clearly, <laughs> it's yeah. absolutely. It does your well, your, yeah. your skill doesn't matter at that point. It doesn't. Right. And and I'm like, what? Why would this exist in a role playing game? When the point of a role-playing game is to tell the story of how awesome my character is, you know, and even how, like, even Indiana Jones, even when he fails, he fails in awesome, spectacular ways. He fails in heroic ways, right? But, you know, the, the, the idea that, that, and this is a very specific idea, the idea that random failure, right, exists in a in a machine in a te- in 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 a, in a system that encourages you to play stories and tell stories doesn't make sense to me see i remain an advocate for that idea but there was a time um in my in the depths of my uh white wolf years when i wanted to move to I, I, was, I had a friend who he and i were like co-storytellers and we were like really super into the white wolf thing and we would always fantasize about the day when there would be diceless role playing. There'd be like no, no uh, uh, arbitration with chance at all. And at a certain point, I was like, "Well, what's the difference between that and me just essentially telling everybody how everything happens?" You know, because you're you aren't the only authority. 
right? I'm the authority too. He's the authority. And then you need a you need a uh, uh, because it's a storytelling game. Right. You need a mechanism to determine who has the authority. You know, it's like it's like being on um, it's like Lord of the Flies. Who has the conch? Okay, I have the conch. I can talk. Right, right. right. And as long as I have the conch, what I say is true. And somebody else says, "Okay, well, I'm going to invoke a mechanic, and now I have the conch." This is in right. Houses of the Blooded, isn't it? Kinda. Because yeah. I, I, I I've played Houses of the Blooded, and I remember something something like this, like a, t- a token that gets passed. Well, it's what it is is that um, in houses you roll dice because in houses dice. Th- this is the thing that that trips most people up, and I stole it from uh, the guy I dedicated the book to, Jared Sorensen, which is you roll dice do not determine success or failure. Mm-hmm. Okay, dice determine who gets to say what happens. So if you roll, if you if you do something that you have a lot of dice in, right? If you're a swordsman, you're like, oh, I'm gonna roll, you know, eight dice, right? You're rolling a lot of dice. If you roll ten or higher, you get to say what happens, mm-hmm. whether you succeed or fail. You get to narrate the outcome of that. But if you roll low, if you roll nine or less, then the GM gets to say what happens, success or fail, mm-hmm. right? So success or failure are not elements of the game in any way. What what or the dice what they are, but, but the dice do not determine that success or failure. Dice only determine who gets to say what happens. Yeah. Right. So what that means is, the more skilled your character is at something, the more chance you have to narrate the outcome. Mm-hmm. And you can say things like, "And then I fail in this really big, spectacular, tragic fashion," right? And the GM rewards you with that with style points. Right? Yeah, okay, okay. There's like counters. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because Houses is a game about tragedy. It's about playing Hamlet. It's about playing Elric. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right? And uh, because you're playing Elric, that means your whole life is screwed up. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and everything fails all the time, right? And I was like, how do you do that? How do you how do you do that in a role-playing game? How do you in- encourage players to narrate failure when almost every role-playing game is built on the premise that your character just gets better? Right? And, yeah. And how do you do that? And the way you do that is you let them do it. Mm. Right? If if I say to you, okay, your character's going to fail now, your character can succeed or fail, and you get to say how that works. What happens is that players go, oh, well, then I fail this way, because this is interesting to me. And if I fail this way, that means I can do this later, and I can do this later. And so because players have failure in their hands they get they they become really accepting of the idea that their character fails because they're controlling it i mean this is just what what you're talking about is like so radically different from the uh 1980s oh yeah like notion (laughs) of like like the punitive dm who exists in opposition to the players and there's like kind of like these sort of like antagonistic and wrathful sort of like omnipresent being you guys are all the, fighting the terrasque tonight the, 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 <laughs> the toys with the players lives you know what i'm saying um i mean so so i guess i mean are you familiar with the with the osr movement that's going on I right am. now yeah and so what what how do you feel about the osr movement i i i mean it, it's people who are making the kind of game that they want to play Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's, there's, you walk into Baskin Robbins, there's 31 flavors of ice cream. Sure. Right. And just because I like mint chocolate chip doesn't mean that you can't like Rocky Road, right? That's just silly, right? And if people want to play a game that is completely opposite of everything that I just said, <laughs> right? They want to play a game where failure is a real option, where the character death, the characters can die because of a bad die roll, where, you know, and, and, and all those things. 
you know, I'm not going to tell them that, that, you know, they're not having fun or, you know, or they're having fun the wrong way or anything like that. I'm just going to say that is not the kind of game I want to play. And conversely, the game that I want to play isn't wrong either. Right, right. right. When I say things like, I don't like Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and I don't, although I think 5th edition is a real, like, like potent step forward. I think D&D 5th edition is absolutely my favorite edition of the game. I still have, like, old you know old things about it that i don't like like the fact that armor class hit points and and uh, saving throws are all the same three mechanics for the same thing mm-hmm. right but but still in that game in 5th edition D&D you get rewarded for playing your character mm-hmm. hey it's a role playing game right? yeah i, I thought that, so, that was one of the big innovations in 5 as well that like like all of a sudden it seemed for the first time in like 30 years that the developers were like Oh yeah, by the way, you might also have this character and <laughs> you're going to want to do something with it. You know, you're not just like a, a a walking like, you know, kill machine or something. You might want to explore this character a little bit outside of the the combats. And I th- and that was very refreshing, very refreshing. Yeah, I I, I like 5th edition um I think 5th edition is like I said, I think it's the strongest iteration of the game. I, th- I think it's the for, it would be the one that I would have for the most and I have played it. Yeah. I have played 5th edition D&D. And there's still things that I'm like I roll a 1. Oh, great. I have 15, you know, I, I have all these points on my character sheet and it doesn't matter because I rolled a one. Okay. You know, but you know, yeah, I mean, I mean there's 5% of the time, every time there's 5%. <laughs> yes. And that's something that is so difficult to, to plunge into gamers ideas is that most role playing games are built with the understand with built on the gambler's fallacy, which is if, if I roll a D 20, what is the percent chance of me rolling a one? 5%. Okay, I pick up the d20 again and I roll it again. What's the chances of me rolling a one? Five percent. Five percent. It, you know, like, well, no, because you rolled it once the first time doesn't mean it's gonna roll. You know, the yeah. chances. No, no, the chances don't change. It's still five percent. Yeah, I, I yeah. can't even imagine how many times I've heard people say the same thing at my at my table. I've got all the ones out now. It's like, no, you well, don't. Well, no, you I mean, don't. That's like a totally different thing. That's like the weird superstition that develops around like the fetishizing of dice, and it's hard as a role player to, to avoid that. My girlfriend's a new role player, and we were we were, we were trying to we were hacking our way through this like 1983 Ravenloft module on sun, on Sunday, and it was it was going terribly. I'll I'll have you know. And she's sitting there rolling, and I saw her get up and switch out her dice. She, mm-hmm. she got a new one because it was just like she kept rolling so terribly. And she had laughed previously about the whole idea of like, oh, getting a fresh die. Like, that's ridiculous. And then she, I saw her doing it. I was like, ah. Well, it's, you know, and, and there is a little bit of truth to that because not all dice are made equal. No, it's true. This right? is true. This uh, is true. It's it's um, studies. I, I'm, I'm a big. I, I love dice. And despite the fact that they betray me. Um, <laughs> I, but there's something like like studies with larger dice with the sharp edged yeah. cubes and dice with smaller dice with the rounded with the rounded edges mm-hmm. tend to roll higher really right or they have actually what it is technically is what it is is that, is that they roll wider which means that you have a you have more of a chance to roll roll high interesting right and and it's weird like like dice are weird and whenever anybody like tries to you know tell me like well you know dice do this and dice I'm like no no you can't you can't do that. You got to roll dice and see how they come out. Yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff going on with with and it's dice are not mathematical, as much as people want to tell me. Well, I I had this um set of uh, game science precision you know mm-hmm. polyhedral dice, and I ran it with a Pathfinder game, 
and I don't know why I did that. I was like, oh, I want this to be very fair, right? I was like, I want this to be very <laughs> fair. And I didn't make any of the players roll these dice, which I should have made those fuckers be rolling them too. If, if it was going to be fair, it should be fair for everybody. But I'll tell you what, man, those like super hard-edged resin dice with this, with this, not 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 notorious, but this like legacy of, of, of accuracy, you know what I'm saying? This huge reputation. And my D20 for that game was a, fucking character killer i mean it just loved it just loved rolling 17s through 20s i mean just i just i just rolled that thing all day i loved it i don't i don't know i never should have given those away i got rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you find the d20 that rolls 20s all the time you're like oh i'm keeping this yeah i know i was an idiot i was an idiot <laughs> so so i mean i understand that you're like really busy right now but but are you playing anything? Or what was the most recent thing you played? Um, well, the most recent thing I played actually was 7C. Okay. okay. Like like like, like playtesting? I, I played just, it. No. Just, I, and, um, just for fun? Um, well, no. I mean, playtesting is different than playing. And okay. a lot of people sure. don't like sure. realize this, but it, it is. Because what you're doing is you are, you are specifically looking for things that you know are problems or that you suspect might be problems or you're not sure. Like for example, like we have a mechanic in the game right now that we're, that we're just going to be we just updated or we're updating the uh uh the quick start that we released, the PDF quick start for Alpha or for Alpha for 7C second edition. And um we changed a few of the rules. And one of the things we're adding is we're adding the fact that dice can explode, which means you guys you guys are white wolf players, sure, so you know sure. what that means. And we're like, okay, how does this work? How is this going to change the math? I mean, we could run a program that tells us, or we could play a game with other people involved and a story and motives and skill checks and things like that, which is how you should really play a game. You should play a game to, to, to see how the ideas that you have really work, and you should play a game to find ideas that you didn't know should be in your game. Okay. Right. Sure. It's, it's the idea of what other people bring to the table when they're looking at yes. it. Yes. And and it's how people say things like, "Can I do X?" And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, you could do that." That's a new rule. You know, I mean, that, that's you know, that's the stuff. That's the stuff that that games are made of, is play, is actual play. So yeah, I'm I'm playing Seventh C. Um, are you running it or are you playing? No, I'm playing it. And How, how's it going? It's it's a riot. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I'm I'm having a lot of fun because. Um, the character I made is, is, I'm having a lot of fun playing and everybody else is, uh, uh, we have a lot of banter and it's because we have to cut down on the banter because we want to test things, Mm. but you know, like let's have the banter while we're rolling dice, right? Cause, cause we spent the first hour just like, like parlaying back and forth to each other and went, we're supposed to be rolling dice. Okay. We should roll dice. It's kind of like, like, like mask of Zorro, a lot of like, like quips while you're doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Nice. Exactly. And um, so the uh, so I'm playing that. I'm also um, playing on uh, on I'm playing two games a week. The other game I'm playing is a hack of Houses of the Blooded, which is uh, Houses of the Blooded in space. So oh, okay. it's it's literal because the whole thing about houses is that it's Ven Opera. It's Ven Blood Opera. Is okay. So it's it's Houses of the Blooded space opera. Oh, okay. So, so it's it, kind of Dune-ish. It, it it is it's kind of it's actually kind of more like Battlestar Galactica. Okay. The, the way that the way that the, the, the GM was running it. Yeah, yeah. The new one. Yeah, the new one. Yeah. Um, we don't have any Cylons or anything like that, but we do have a uh, a, a group of um, a, 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 like a group of ships 
that have run away from uh, the Shanri, the world that's in in uh, houses, because the storm eventually took over the whole world, and we're like, oh, we gotta get out of here. So we took off on ships and we're looking for a new home world and stuff like that. And uh, and you get all the politics of 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 you know we only have so much food and we only have mm. so much this and we you know and and the politics of who is running things and we're all Ven, so you know it's it's all kind of complicated. And uh, in that, we're also testing out an idea that I had, uh, which is in Ben in in houses, you're always playing a tragic character. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what if you could choose if you're playing a tragic character or a heroic character? Let's try that out and see what happens. And so I gave, or I didn't, the GM gave the option to the players, do you want to play a tragic character or a heroic character? And what does that mean? You know, and type things. And, and uh, yeah. And, it's it's uh and that's been a lot of fun too. How'd that fall out? Did did you like how'd you see the split in terms of um, which way heroic went? characters get style when they help other people, mm-hmm. and tragic characters get style when they sabotage themselves. Oh, that's that's brilliant. I like so that a lot. So that's that's how that division works. But I mean, like, did did people choose to play tragic characters? Yes. And and and. and to what percentage? What percentage oh, of them? Well, right now we're all heroic characters. Oh, you okay? Yeah, and okay. and we all chose. In, you're like we're all making our characters individually, and then you know meet up and kind of link them together, and we're like, oh, we all chose heroic characters. <laughs> well, that's, that, as a game designer, that tells me something, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but what, well, what, what, what does it tell you? I'd like to know what it told you. Well, everybody who's playing has played before and okay. it's our fans of the game. So it means that I have this brand new toy that everybody wants to play with. Ah, right? wonderful. That's what it tells me. And, and eventually, and you can, you can change, you can switch, you can switch between a tragic character and a heroic character. So, um, you uh, mean two different characters or your character be- becomes, your character becomes a tragic character, okay. but you have to, oh, that's, do, I like that, but you have to do something right to do it. You have to have, there's a specific way to do it. Right. So, but right now we're all heroic characters. I mean, one of us may switch to a tragic character, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, I think I think what attracted me so much to House of the Blooded was the idea of playing the tragic character to begin with. Yeah. Um, I I think back to like my we talked about it before. My my favorite game of that I've ever played of Werewolf involved the fact that I betrayed someone, and it was like super tragic for me, and I felt really bad about it. And to me, that that's what struck me when I was reading House of the Blooded. I thought it was. You know, something that, that I could sort of generate that same sort of experience. Yeah, and, and um, you know, I like that element of the original Werewolf, that, you know, we screwed up. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and you know, and it's like, well, what, does the game support that after that after that fact? Right? What, okay, we screwed up, what, what, what next? And it doesn't really, because most of the, the mechanics are combat mechanics. And it's like, okay, it's it's a fighting game. that It was designed to be a fighting game. Yes. But where does it, you know, how, how, did, how does the game reflect the fact that this culture failed in its duty? It, it doesn't really show up anywhere, right? It's it, true. It's, it's, it's kind of like, and, and, and this is actually a, a, an element of, of game design that... that uh, I also um, uh, picked up from Jared, which is the idea of Jared's three questions, game design questions, which is what is your game about? How does your game do that? And what behaviors does your game reward? And this isn't like a, a diehard, like, this is how you design a game. But it's a handy compass when you get oh, lost sure. in the in morass, right? Definitely. And so if you take a game like a D&D, it's like, what's the game about? Well, it's about killing people and taking their stuff. That's what the game is about. Clearly. Okay, so how does it how does it do that? Right. Well, it has a really sophisticated combat system, 
and it has a really sophisticated treasure system. So when you kill things, you get to take their stuff because it has really robust systems for that. Yeah. And then what behaviors does the game reward? Well, it rewards you for killing people and taking their stuff, <laughs> right? So it's a very straightforward game, <laughs> it's right? It's true. And, I, and I'm saying that in kind it's of a true. dismissive way, but I don't mean it in that way because it's it. no game does D&D like D&D. And right? I, I, I really don't think that anybody who has any serious experience with D&D and and is also self aware, hasn't had that moment where they kind of put down their pencil and they're like, "Are we just like a genocidal kill team?" Well, <laughs> think about it for a second. <laughs> One of my favorite D and D settings is Ravenloft. Oh, because yeah, Ravenloft right. is not about killing people and taking their stuff. Because if you kill people and take your stuff, you become a bad guy. Yeah. Right. Ravenloft, you have to play Ravenloft differently then you play normal D&D. Because if you play it like normal D&D, congratulations, you're a Dreadlord. Have fun. You're an NPC. <laughs> and now I can give, you know. It's true. Right? So, so Ravenloft is really interesting in like that, in that it's D&D, but it's not. It's kind of like this other game that you play with the same kind of mechanics, but there's other stuff involved in it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's apply these, these same, the same idea to a game like Vampire. Right? Sure. Which is what is vampire about? It's about it's about the fact that you're no longer a human and you're a predator. You're no longer a, a hunter gatherer and you're a predator, and you have to deal with other predators in a social way. Okay. Right. That's what de- that's what vampire is about. Okay. How does it do that? It gives you superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, okay. There's a humanity mechanic, but. Nobody uses it. Well, well, right. Their their, and, their their developers actually found a way to circumvent it, so you don't have to use it. Yes, and, and then and, there's yeah, and there's that. And then finally, what behaviors is a game reward? It rewards you for cannibalizing other player characters. <laughs> right. Yep. So you know, there's that. And 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 yep. my my buddy Sheldon and I, you know, and and I say this, I should say this, that Vampire was an incredibly important game, uh, influential game to me when 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 it first came out. Because I was like, "Wow, look at this! It's sexy. It it like it it's a game about sex, right? Sure, it's totally a game about sex." We, I remember uh, being a teenager and seeing those books, you know, on the shelf. It was way different. Yeah, know? it was a complete, completely different experience, and it 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 turned the idea of character class on its head, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like yep. I'm not a fighter; I'm a bruja. Yeah, and that means something completely different than being a fighter. Right? Yeah, exactly. And 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 all of these things, you know, all and and the system was written in such a way that it gave the GM a whole bot, whole bunch of latitude to improvise. Incredibly influential game on me, right? Sure. Um, but you know, and and but at the same time, you know, we can look at it and say, and it really failed in a lot of different ways. But but still, incredibly, incredibly. I think it was one of the best games in in that that it was out at the time, really influenced me a lot. Sure. Um, but then there was me and Sheldon, my buddy Sheldon, who's uh, who's like a legit actor in Hollywood and a legit musician, as opposed to me. I'm not that. And Sheldon and I were coming back from a, a vampire LARP, and we were really disappointed. We were like, I, we're not having fun. Why are we not? We've been coming to this game for a year, and we're not having fun. What do we? You know, why is the game not working? Right, we have these eleven to twenty-two page backstories for our characters, you know, that nobody knows about, and and all this stuff. And suddenly we realized, oh wait a minute, we're playing the wrong game. We're we're playing a tabletop game at a LARP, right? And so we reevaluated. And I took I took Jared's questions. And I reevaluated a vampire LARP, and I was like, okay, what is this game about? Becoming prince. Mm-hmm. 
that's what a vampire LARP is about. Yeah. If you are playing any other game, you are playing the wrong game. You are in the wrong game. If you're not in this game to be Prince, it's kind of like being the WWE. If you're not here to be world champion, you're not, you're not here. Right. So it's, so, okay. So it's about becoming Prince. How, how, okay. How does a game do that? It gives you superpowers. Okay. Now we're on the same goal. Okay. What behaviors does the game reward? It rewards you for cannibalizing the other PCs. There we go. Yeah. Now vampire works. Yeah. Because all you had to do was change that first question. What is the game about? It's about becoming prince. And once you got that, you're saying you're you're cooking with gas. I I I, I would uh, my my only contention there would be, I would expand that to say. It's about amassing as much power as you possibly can. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I mean, if you don't want to be prince, then fine. You can, if you're, as long as you're the most powerful guy, you know, or as long as as long as as long as a bunch of people think you're the most powerful guy, then you're probably all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're the guy who's you know standing behind every single prince, mm-hmm. right? The prince gets killed, and then the new prince is like, "You, you're my new guy." Yeah. Great. Yeah. Then you're yeah. winning the game, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's that's every LARP that I've ever been in, where it's like where it's like. Quickly, how much power can we amass as fast as we can? You know, I, I have a friend in LA. His uh, his name is James James Steele, for whom the Steele family is named in Houses of the Blooded, who is the best vampire player I have ever played with. Just just hands down, the best vampire game. Every LARP he goes to, he is prince within thirty days. <laughs> just everyone, he is so good at it, and he is he's he's so good at it because. He, I mean, and one time I went to him and I said, James, um, I want to play a character because we were playing characters who were like aligned, right? And I said, if my character ever dies, I think I want to play a character who opposes you. So, again, you, you know, we could be rivals. And he went, why on earth would you ever want to do that? Because <laughs> I'll just kill you. <laughs> I, well, but, you know, we could have fun being rivals. And he was like, and, and I, here we go. I'm playing the wrong game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. He's playing the right game. He's like, No. If I kill you, if I don't kill you, then you're still a living enemy. If I kill you, then you're just dead. <laughs> right? And I was like, whoa! You see, you shouldn't have told him. <laughs> he would have figured it out that's, fast. That's where you went wrong. <laughs> he, he would have figured it out fast. <laughs> All right. So so I'm kind of curious. You said that Vampire made a big impression on you when yeah. you first saw it. What other games did you feel the same way about? It's it's really a um, a cliche to say that Over the Edge is is uh, is a game that that kicked me in the teeth as a player and a GM. Uh, you guys mean are you familiar with Over the Edge? I am not actually. I it, mean I remember it from the '90s, but I never played it. It's um it's a game by Atlas Games, written by Jonathan Tweet and Robin Laws, and it's a game where uh, Jonathan Tweet said that it it's a modern setting. It's a modern uh, paranoid conspiracy setting. Where he said, I, I wanted to create an environment where uh, if someone brought me a new character, I would not be able to say your character doesn't fit the environment. Right? Okay. So the game is, uh, and the other thing is that someone said, uh, he, uh, Jonathan Tweet said, I wanted to create a game, or someone said to him, I would really like to play a William S. Burroughs game. And William S. Burroughs is the okay. guy who read, read Naked Lunch yeah. and the ticket that exploded and all that stuff. Um, or no, let me take that back. Someone said I want to play a Edgar Rice Burroughs game, 
which is the guy who created Tarzan sure. and John Carter. And he heard William S. Burroughs. <laughs> oh, oh that's, man. that's quite awesome, actually. Oh. <laughs> and so the, the, it's a modern game where one of the NPCs, one of my favorite NPCs, is a villainous cup of coffee. Wow. Um, another one, one of my favorite uh, characters is a character uh, cop from the future. So the, a little context. Um, this... In the group, in 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 in, uh, in this particular group, there was uh, two players who were not romantically hitched, but all their characters always were. Okay. They always found ways for their characters to have sex during the game. Okay, <laughs> all right. So, um, the this character is a cop from the future. All right, right. Who is sent back in time to stop ten things from happening? Okay, and one of those things is prevent those two people from having sex. <laughs> right, and the cop. Is you can't send back his body, but you can send back his intellect in a in a gemstone, right? Okay. And the gemstone they embedded into an object that they were certain that everyone would want to pick up because when you pick it up, you he inhabits you. Okay. Right? So they put him inside of a television remote control, <laughs> right? So there's a character who's a cop from the future inside of a television remote control device that when you pick it up, you get possessed by him. And he's supposed to stop these ten things from happening. And when you right? put down the remote control, does he then back in the remote control? He's back in the remote control. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's so there's always a character walking around with a TV remote in his hand. Yes. Right. <laughs> so and and there's all these other kinds of characters. There's um uh and and there's a machine called uh, the cut-ups machine, which is if you're familiar with Burroughs, you guys seem to be familiar with Burroughs. The idea of the cut-ups method, which is you cut words, provocative words, out of a magazine or sure. a book or whatever, mm-hmm. throw them in a hopper, and then just pull them out randomly and then generate text from that yeah. in any way that you can. KMFDM. Yeah, that's right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So so there's a cut-ups machine and the cut-ups machine is you throw provocative words into the hopper, you pull the lever and the machine reinvents reality based on the words you put in it. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Right? And, and, uh, and there is every implication that this happened 10 minutes ago. <laughs> right so i mean that's what kind of game it is it's it's so far out there and it's so wild and the game system it's and it's all it's about paranoia right yeah you have right. no idea what's really going on in this game right because there's all of this stuff there's the the it's a 200 and something page book the first 15 pages are for the players and the rest of it is for the gm wow right and it's all about here are all the ways you can screw with the players oh by the way the game system that we taught them at the beginning of the book is a complete lie seriously here's, here's how the game system really works wow and i was like whoa oh it explode and the adventure in the back like the sample adventure that every game has is so brilliant it's so brilliant and and i spoil it for everybody but i'm not going to spoil it here. so 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 it. so where like where's we're in this era where like all the you know, everything old is new again you know I mean, you can go down to the game store and Mutant Chronicles is on the shelf in a new edition. Yeah. Where's Where's this game? Where, where's um, the they edge? just published the, like, whatever anniversary edition of it. Is it available or is it yeah. a Kickstarter thing? Oh, no, no, no. It? It's it's available. You can get it. I mean, I got the new, I got the new uh, hardcover gold-plated, you know, sure, whatever sure. type thing. You know, because the game just, com- you know, reading the GM section was, was, some, was, was an epiphany to me. It, and, and, uh, it, it it was, it was like, look, we all know that the GM cheats. We we just we just all know it, right? Sure. So, here's a rule: we're giving you permission to cheat, <laughs> right? Here it is. You know, the players roll, and you hear the dice roll, and you look at the roll, and you tell them what it means. 
right? Yeah. What, what, you know, I mean, and, and the whole, the whole <laughs> thing is so Discordian. It's so, um, it, it's, it, I was about to say that it sounds like chaos magic. It sounds like somebody had been reading like Lieber Null or something. <laughs> and then it was like, let's do a role playing game, which I thought unknown armies was that, but now this sounds like unknown armies only like on a different, like even, even further into the yeah, it's, Umbra. It's way out there. It's, it's, it's such a fantastic game. Every, everybody should, every GM should, should read that game. It'll blow your mind. It'll, oh. it'll make you completely change. And that well, that mean, game was so important to me as a GM. So Just so important. So riddle me this, man. Should I pick up the new one, or should I go back? Should I go on eBay and should I dig up the old one? No, no, no get the new one. The, the new, new one, one has some new stuff and has new art and and uh, but it's still the same text. They haven't changed it. Oh. They don't. They don't need to. Boosh. Yeah. Sold. Done. Yeah, you sold. just you just sold too, homie. <laughs> at, at least. And we're putting this out on the airwaves, you know. We're gonna do some like mage, like uh, paradigm altering here, you know. Everybody <laughs> needs to go out and get out over the edge, or you're nothing. Yeah, over the edge will make make you look at mage and go, "Oh, you're so adorable." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so to, truth, truthfully, I already kind of felt that way. Like somebody wrote me a text, and they were like, "I feel like unknown armies is postmodern mage the ascension," and I just wrote back to him, "I'm like." Mage was supposed to be postmodern mage. I mean, come on. When did it become a cartoon? Yeah. Well, you know. Well, you know, it became a cartoon because the players were playing it like a cartoon. The game encourages you to play it like a cartoon. It's true. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm friends with Jess Heinig, who was uh, responsible for. I'm going to get this completely wrong, but like second edition revised or whatever. Okay. When the sure. big when the big thing came along and and ruined the spirit world and the Avatar so was, Storm, sure. right? the Avatar Storm and all that stuff. And what that came from. And I may be getting this wrong, uh, so I apologize to Jess in advance if I'm getting this wrong. What it came from is that a lot of the feedback from the players is like, we want to be less like Jedi Knights on Venus yeah. and more like John Constantine, right? That's the game right? I always wanted. I so, want that game. So that's what they did. They they were like, okay, no more going into the Ubra for you. You have to deal with problems on Earth. No more going to the, going to the spirit world is now incredibly hard, painful, and costly. And, you know, and all these things. And the first thing that people did is complain. Well, yeah. They're like, why did you do this? Because you told us to. Um, (laughs) Maybe we were just listening to the vocal minority. (laughs) You know, I think I think that the um, your your average mage player is like really into some trippy trippy stuff. Some like not 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 necessarily trippy as in like you know you know third eye opening stuff, but like just they want to do really out there kind of things. They like that kind of demigod like ability. I mean, that's definitely what I've sort of encountered. Well, I was really spoiled because I've ran into uh, Ars Magica first. Ah, yes. And so yes. because I ran into Ars, uh, Ars Magica first, and because of that, um, I really love... I, I still, to this day, think that Ars, Mag- Ars Magica, Ars Magica has one of the best, if not the best, magic system in, in gaming. It's f- so fantastic. The White Wolf one or the um no the, the original Am- Lion Rampart one. Oh, the, the, and the yeah. one that's being the done one that by- we were looking at on the shelf. I think at Bookman's the other no, day. No, that's wasn't that one. Well, Isn't that one White Wolf one. It's uh, gone. Well, was. there was a ver- White Wolf did a version of it. Yeah. Um, but that's the one I'm familiar with. I also bought the Atlas one. Yes. Atlas did a version, and I just I just found it very like it was it was a very dry read. It I is think. a very dry read, but the 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 fact that the magic system is so gorgeous. And, and so simple, right? Your left hand is what you are doing and your right hand is what you're doing it to, right? So, um, and then there are techniques, which is create, alter, control, destroy, and, and perceive, right, over here in your left hand. And then over your right hand is air, water, fire, animal, mind, and all that other stuff. Mm. So you can do things like 
um, I create fire. Okay, great. What does yeah. that mean, right? What is you know, and and you can create fire, and I can create fire, totally and they different can, ways, and totally different ways, yeah. right? And then it's like I, you know, um, I perdo mentum. I destroy mind. I erase memories out of your head, right? Or you know, I mean, the the fact that the that that the system at at one point is so incredibly flexible, and at the other point is so limited, is so restricted, right? It is this perfect balance of of the fact that and and the give that in all liter in all fantasy literature wizards are the most powerful characters. That's just I mean, you know, if you want to put points to to Gandalf and Frodo, come on, yeah, come yeah. on, yeah. okay, yeah. I mean, you don't really like name any other character, name any character, and then Gandalf, and then Gandalf, know? right, yeah. or any character and Sauron, right, right, because G- Gandalf and Sauron are the same thing, right? right? So I mean, not really, but they are. So I mean, so Ars Magica took that idea that wizards are the most powerful characters. So let's make them the most powerful characters, and who sure. are the least powerful characters? Fighters, fighter dudes, fighter dudes. Now, the the thing that I loved about about that the most is is uh, the idea of uh, is is the idea of grogs. So the way that you make characters in Ars Magica is that you is that the three of us and the GM yeah. right get together and you're going to make a wizard and you're going to make a companion who is like a specially gifted person but not sure. a wizard and a grog and a grog is someone who who like the cook or the stable master, or you know somebody else, and then you're going to make a wizard and a companion or a grog, I'm going to make a wizard and a companion and a grog, and bang, we now have a community S- of people. Some sort of like retainer type character. Yeah, yeah, somebody who's, you know. But a kind of grog you can make is what's called a kustos, which is a bodyguard. It's the guy who stands between the wizard and, and harm, right? So he's kind of like the Secret Service guy, right? And there is something about the Secret Service guy that is my favorite character to play. Right, everybody's got their favorite kind of character to play. Right, I like uh, there's a there's a uh, that line from The West Wing, which is when uh, 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 Josh is talking about, you know, I have all these problems and dealing with government, but there's a guy in the Secret Service whose job is to be between the president and the bullet, and he doesn't wear a sh- he doesn't wear, you know, protective thing because it'll slow him down. Like, I can't complain about my job, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and that idea of there is a guy whose job is to not go after the gun, is not to go after the shooter, but to get between the president and the bullet. That's his job, right? How sexy is that? That is yeah. awesome, yeah. right? Yeah. So the Kustos, that is the Kustos's job, is right. He's a fighter with a really big honking shield, and his job is to walk around with the Magus, and when the Magus gets in trouble, he gets in front of him, Right. That's the character I want to play, and that character is in that game. Like, nice. here he is. He's in this <laughs> game. I get to play. Oh, right. So I really like that. So when we played the last time I played Mage, everyone's like, "I'm gonna make a Son of Ether. I'm gonna make a, a Order of Hermes." And I went, "I want to play the guy, the guy who was in uh, Special Forces, that." Because um, because uh, Order of Hermes comes from Ars Magica, right? Yeah, right? yeah. So the or- so so one of the people in the in the covenant we we're making was from the Order of Hermes. So they sent the they sent her Kustos along with him. And my job, the special for the ex special forces guy, is to make sure that the mages like don't get hurt, mm-hmm. right? So all my skills, it was really funny. They're like, John's gonna have all these combat skills. I'm like, nope. I got werewolf lore, and I got mage lore, <laughs> and I got vampire lore, and I got. It's like, oh, it's vampires. Oh yeah, garlic ain't gonna work. We're gonna need to get no, we're no, no, no. We need to cut off their heads. Mm-hmm. 
right? And you know, you know, we get a problem with uh, we get a problem with uh, uh, Sabat vampires, and I'm like, I know what a Sabat vampire is. <laughs> <laughs> That's right? good. And throwing fire good. at them ain't gonna help. Yeah. Right. So that was the character that I wanted to play. Yeah. Right. So I had all of these these lores, and then I had a couple weapon skills. Sure. And I was like, I have weapon skills in case in case they get by like you guys turning them into soap bubbles. Mm-hmm. Right. If they get by that, then that's what I'm here for. And so I put like all my points in all of the hit point stats yeah. and all that stuff, so I could just take the hit and take the hit and take the hit, because that's you know. Um, you know that that was the character I wanted to play in Mage, and and you know that was a lot of fun. I think that um, in some of the games that we've done, we've had pretty good success with people playing like like outsider types, like outsiders and retainers. Yeah, like, our, our buddy Yona tends to be like sort of one that tends to fall in that direction. Yeah, like we're gonna play vampire. I want to be like a hedge man. Yeah, I'll be a no, ghoul. Like, <laughs> well, you know, and and part of game design is also recognizing that 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 player is out there. Sure, right? mm. and and you have to make the decision. How much are we going to give that player, right? Sure. Right. And so, for example, when we did uh, Wicked Fantasy, Wicked Fantasy is a, a a book I did, which is a Pathfinder source book. Mm-hmm. It takes um, all the Pathfinder races and essentially redefines them in 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 weird, cool ways. And um, so, when we did dwarves, we were like, okay, there is a guy in every gaming group who wants to play the dwarf. Right, that's what he plays. He's gonna play the dwarf, right? Yes. So let's make the dwarf that when he reads this, he's gonna be like, "I never want to play another dwarf, but this one, I want to play this dwarf." If okay, we're gonna play Pathfinder in you know whatever world. We're gonna play Dark Sun. I want to play. I want to play a Wicked Fantasy Dwarf. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's that's the dwarf I want to play. I'm like, well, why are you doing Dark Sun? He said, I don't know. But here I am, right? And so we did that with each of the which each of the races. We did that with the elves, and we did that like there is a kind of player who wants to play an elf. Okay, what is what does that player want? Let's give it to them, right? Let's give it. Let's just dump it on them and say, here you go, right? And uh, and 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 so you have to, as a game designer, you have to ask yourself. And and as a matter of fact, in Houses of the Butter, there's the question: Can I play not a Ven? Yeah. Right. Sure. Yes, you can. You have no character sheet. And you know, and 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 here's the consequences of not playing a Ven. Go ahead and play a not Ven. I'm not going to stop you, but here are the consequences of that choice, right? And that's that's you know, that's something as a game designer you have to consider is that guy. So, our time is coming to a close. Oh, I have, already? I have, I have two two more things I just want to touch on before we go. Sure. And the first one is this. The first one is so much of what you've talked about tonight hinges or sort of circles around the psychological like all the way from like game design and reading motivations to the sort of like bizarro out there-ness of over the edge (laughs) do you have a background in psychology no but i do have a background in philosophy ah okay there we go would you like fries with that yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I got a history degree and political science degree, so I can make sparkling conversation about either one of those. But, there you go. You know, it doesn't work so well with the job interviews. Um, the last, the last question, which is really more of a prompt. Um, so talk to us about the Kickstarter. Talk to us about Seven C. Please, just, just <laughs> go. Tell us. Tell we, we've got. We take as much time as you need to tell people what it is that you need them to hear. Well, Seventh Sea is a swashbuckling and sorcery role-playing game where where the question, like I said, is is could Errol Flynn do that? Every time that we come across a game design question, a mechanics question, we're like, could Errol Flynn do that? Yes. 
okay, then that goes in the game. That that was that that is like in original Seventh C, a lot of the sorcery was very slow and ponderous and required a lot of time. And uh, like the fate magic, we have um, the Vadache women can manipulate chance and fate and things like that. And um, and like, well, you can't really do it in combat because it requires complete concentration and all this other stuff. And with the new edition, we're like, ah, screw that. Of course they can do that in combat. <laughs> of course they can, right? And and um, uh, so so what happened was is that we we decided I I, I approached AEG uh, about about Seventh C, and after a very very long uh, uh, negotiation period, um, we came to uh, uh, we came to to an agreement that I would buy the game. Okay. And uh, it was a game that I worked on for about a year, and then I left the company, and then it carried on kind of without me for a while. And uh, it's the game that I get asked about a lot, like more than any other game that I do. And I think it's because it kind of felt unfinished, right? With with L5R, I, I was like, I was the author of the role. I was I was the head of the story of the card game. I was the author of the role playing game. I, I was the line developer of all of the clan books. Right, so it kind of felt like capstone. Like, okay, I've I've said my piece on this game, mm. but Seventh C didn't really feel like that. It felt like you know I left the company and and um, and the game wasn't really finished. I mean, it was. I mean, the book was out, but so and 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 a, there were a lot of people in the in the office. Um, the game was being pulled in a lot of different directions, so it felt like it when it was published. It felt like it was being pulled in a lot of different directions, and when I left, one of those directions left with me. So it, it went in a particular direction that that some players were happy with, some players weren't, you know, type of thing. But so, you know, I reacquired the game and and uh and we were Mark Mark Diaz Truman and I were putting together the Kickstarter and uh and we were looking at numbers for various stuff and and uh and and run seven and, and we we're up all night before the Kickstarter launch tweaking the website. Right, tweaking the Kickstarter website. Sure. Yeah. And what Mark did, it did this really brilliant thing: is he did, took one of those spreadsheets, and he started putting other successful Kickstarter numbers into them, like uh -huh. the Exalted Kickstarter and the Numenera Kickstarter, and other sure. you know successful things into our pledge levels, right? And was taking a look at it, and 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 our initial plan for the Kickstarter was that we would do about two hundred thousand dollars over a course of thirty days. That's okay. what we thought. Sure. And then around 3 a.m., Mark and I are looking at things, and, and he says, you know, I think it's impossible for us to make less than $200,000. And I'm like, are you sure? I mean, you, I, know, I know you have an economics degree from Harvard, but <laughs> are you sure, says the guy who has a philosophy degree. And, and, and Mark goes, yeah, I, I think we're going to do really well with this. I think we may as go as high as like $300,000. So around 7.29, we're going to launch at 7.30, Mark says, are you ready to go? He's talking to me from Albuquerque on Gchat. I'm like, I'm ready to go. He says, I'm hitting the button. So he hits the button. And I get up and I walk over to the fridge and I get a Coke. And I come back and I look at the screen. And I got my, I, I, I have these glasses on, which aren't my reading glasses. And I'm looking at the screen and it says $5,000. I'm like, that's not right. So I put my reading glasses on and now it says six. <laughs> and, and I'm like, what's going? And by the time I said what's going, it, it went to eight. And I jumped over to the other window and I said, Mark, what's going on? He said, get on Skype right now, right now. I'm like, okay. So I get on Skype and, and Mark's like, okay, you know this this plan we had for the $50,000 stretch goal? It's now our $100,000 stretch goal. 
You know this plan we had for our $75,000 stretch goal? It's now our $200,000 stretch goal. Because, you know, like, boom, boom, boom. And it's like, but, but you know, n- no, that's not right. That's not right. And he's like, go look at the website. So I go back to the website. It's been about seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And we're at $30,000. Wow. Right? And we just kicked, like, in seven minutes. And it keeps going. 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 And the first day, we did $300,000. Right? And 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 um, I think that that the Kickstarter success is based on a lot of different things. One, it's Mark because Mark knows how to put these things together. He's really, really damn smart. And the key to success is surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you, right? So there's that. There's the fact that Seven C fans have been waiting for it for ten years. There's the fact that um, uh, Marissa Kelly, who's our art director, got Shin Fei to do the art, and the art is breathtakingly good it's just amazing um there's also the fact that um so i don't i don't want to forget anybody but um oh we did the quick start with uh and the guys who are working on the system are mike curry and rob justice and they we put together a new game system for seventh c that feels like it's what the first edition was trying to be Mm mm-hmm right which is fast elastic you know you can take out five guys with one die roll you know all that kind of stuff and i think that that we just hit right at the right time of the year right we just wow. we just hit right at the, we we did it at the right time of the year so all of these things came together and now um if i check my phone um when i left we were less than $2000 away from breaking exalted's record Oh, Exalted holds the record. The, Exalted, the, the, the all Exalted um, third edition holds the record for um, uh, for the most successful Kickstarter, and um, and uh, we, I think, we just broke it. Well, congratulations! Yeah, congratulations, man! Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just broke it. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, congratulations! Well done. Thank you. Well done. So, hey, you, you heard it here first, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, it's it's uh, it's not even real to me, right? It's it's not. It's people are like, how does it feel to have the most successful Kickstarter, you know, type thing? I'm like, I'm I'm just writing the book. Wow. Right. You know. Wow. I'm I'm a kid from Minnesota who you know fell in love with the role playing games and 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 uh, you know started making role playing games when I was fifteen. And they were all crap, but <laughs> but you know you got to go through the crap to get to the good stuff. And you know maybe I still am going through the crap, but you know who knows. But you know here we are, and 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 now we're doing this thing. And I'm like, my my folks call me up, and they're like, John, my mom has her laptop set up in front of the kitchen uh-huh. so she can watch the number go up. Wow. Right. And when, and when your mom has that, right, that's that's that that, that makes your heart you're, go. Pitter you're successful pat. now. Yeah, now I'm successful. Yeah. Right. So okay, okay. I promise that was the last question, but I got one more, and this sure. is not meant to undermine the Kickstarter at all, because because you know everybody who's listening to this, the, of course, you will get the best deal. You know, if you go back to the Kickstarter, Kickstarter is always give you the best deal. But this is my next question, last one, I promise. Will this be available in stores at some point? Yes, we have a retailer level. And um, and we're talking to distribution uh, right now about carrying the book because I want as many people to have it as possible. Wonderful, you know. So yeah. Well, so, I will own a copy soon. So. Okay. And if you're a future person and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, this is way back in the you know 2016, and we're listening to this really old podcast. Seven C is out. 
You can purchase it at the store. Yeah, let me make one really quick uh, pitch, which is um, our $40 level um, is kind of like my indie cred level, right? Because um, after I left AEG, I kind of became, people tell me I'm like the Neil Young of indie game design. I'm like, you know, and, and I'm like, I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> it's really funny. I'm in this weird place because all the indie guys are like, oh, that's John. He's the mainstream guy. Oh. And then I go to cons and I get introduced as John, the the king of indie role-playing games. I'm like, what? <laughs> what the hell? And here's another really quick story. Um, so Shane Hensley is is a friend of mine. He's the guy who did, uh, who owns Pinnacle. He does Savage Worlds. He does Dead Deadlands, sure. all that kind of stuff. Shane's a great, great guy. And so we were talking, he held up, he, 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 I won't mention the game, but he, he backed a, a Kickstarter for an indie game. And I'm using scare quotes, indie game, right? Cause I have no idea what that means, but, and he's like, John, this, check out this indie game. And I'm like, great. And he's like, and I'm looking through it. It's like very pretty. Yeah. And it's, and it's this hardcover book and it's got like 300 pages, you know, it's, it's a real thing. And they go, and he says, do you know something? I went, what? And he said, I know. I mean, it's pretty. I mean, it's got a good layout. And he said, no, no, no look look harder and i'm like looking and i'm like what, what what do you what do you want me to look for shane and he's like it's all rules right i'm like yeah it's it's rules and he's like okay so here's a copy of the savage world's pocket guide which is like 90 pages right and he's like my game is a traditional game but this is a story game <laughs> and i was like whoa <laughs> so and and you know and and i i tell that story a lot because i think it really you know it, it th- there's a whole indie thing like what's indie yeah and i'm like you know who the most successful indie game designer is steve jackson mm, right okay. but he's not an indie designer you know like <laughs> what well then what the hell does indie mean i don't even know what that means anymore right yeah but uh so yeah i i get I get this weird thing where I'm kind of like I'm 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 an indie guy. I'm not an indie guy, but the forty dollar uh, uh, pledge level um, is kind of like my indie cred level, where you drop forty dollars, and what you get is you get every PDF of the first edition of the game, which is fifty PDFs, right? <laughs> so you get every PDF of the first edition of the game, not too and, shabby, and not too shabby, and you get every PDF that we do, a PDF of everything that we do with this Kickstarter, which is right now nine source books. The two, the the deck of heroes and the deck of the deck of villains, all of the maps, the map of Thea, the map of Ifri, the map of the Crescent Empire, the map of the New World. Um, we're going to be doing a map of uh, of the of another nation that I can't talk about yet. And you know, I mean, so for forty <laughs> bucks, and you're into PDFs, you want everything on your tablet, you get like over five hundred, maybe six hundred dollars worth of PDFs for the $40 pledge. That That is a deal that cannot be stopped right there. It's it's one of the reasons that I think the Kickstarter, it's one of those other reasons that the Kickstarter is so successful because you look at that and you're like, I'm getting $600 worth of PDFs for 40 bucks. Pledge. <laughs> right? So, and and, it, and again, that's kind of like my, when when um, there was a time on my website where every, every game that I did, you could get for five bucks. So, like, I have a game called Cat, which is about playing house cats who protect their owners from monsters they can't see. Mm-hmm. It's a game for families and for grown-ups and stuff. It's a little, four, you know, 38, 62-page book. Five bucks. You want the PDF? It's five bucks. If you want the PDF for Wicked Fantasy, that's a 300-page, full-color, hard-bound book. Mm-hmm. Five bucks. Right? That's how I did PDFs. I'm like, I want you playing the game. I'm, sure. I'm independent. Sure. Right? And then Mark Truman came along, and why are you doing this? 
this is the no, no, no. <laughs> why are you doing this? And so you know we we change things around a little bit and and for the better too I think. But um, but that that forty dollar pledge is kind of like my indie cred. It's it's my hey, do you want to play Seven C? You want to play it for cheaper than buying the book, and you get all of this stuff. Here you go. Here's forty bucks. Well, so. we thank you for that, my friend. We thank you for that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I personally am a sucker for a good uh good PDF deal. I know I've bought a couple of years, so on drive through. Yay. Yay. Drive through is awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's a good service. It's a good service for sure. Well, I guess that about wraps it up. I that, think so. You know, it's we been a pleasure. Indeed. Thank you so much for a wonderful evening. I mean, um I think we're gonna be really excited to hear these things. Yay! <laughs> thank you very much, and thank you all for listening. Everyone have a great night. Thank you for listening to tonight's episode of Full Metal RPG. We'd like to thank Mr. John Wick one more time for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Tonight we have music from Legion with the song Abyssal Plains. We have music from Blowed. Their second album, Deliverance, the track is called Crucifixion Manifestation. We have Art Tonight by Mario Torres. Check it out on our Facebook page. Full Metal RPG t-shirts are now available on our Etsy store. Search under Full Metal RPG, one word, or Blasphemous Tones. You can find and download Full Metal RPG on iTunes and SoundCloud. We're also available on Stitcher and Podbean. Follow Full Metal RPG on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We want to thank you all for listening. Have a great night.